You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you. This is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Finding Genius Podcast Network. I have uh, Ben Atkinson. Uh, he runs a podcast called the Functional Health Podcast. He's also a nutritionist. Uh, his website is functionalhealthinfo.com. And um, we're going to be talking about uh, what functional medicine and functional health means. So, Ben, thanks for coming. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. And thank you so much for having me on the show, Jacob. R- Richard, sorry. I really appreciate it. Yeah, don't worry. Apart from getting your name wrong straight away, that's a good start. Yeah, I, I mispronounce things all the time, and my kids make fun of me for it, so you know, no big deal. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, tell me, uh, you know, usually, you know, I've said this before, that people get interested in health, unfortunately, when something bad happens to them or someone they know or love. And, you know, hopefully, if it doesn't kill them, then they have the chance to, uh, you know, get much more interested in health than they used to be and do something about it. So what's your uh, origin story? Yes, you're absolutely right. Everyone who comes into this field seems to have their own personal story or like a battle with like a, a real tough chronic disease or health ailment. My story is a little bit different, I guess. I started getting interested in nutrition because when I was younger, I was just a, an overweight child trying to get leaner and trying to get fit. So basically I started, I guess my introduction to nutrition was going to the gym about the age of 16 and got introduced to a bodybuilder. And this bodybuilder put me on what's commonly known as like a cutting diet, if you've ever heard of one of those. So bodybuilder tends, bodybuilders tend to go through these bulking and cutting phases where they have a surplus of calories to try and gain muscle and then a um, kind of a negative caloric intake to kind of lose it. And what the diet this uh, guy gave me was a very high-protein diet, uh, low in fat, and low in carbohydrates. So I was literally eating chicken and broccoli or chicken and green vegetables and a handful of nuts a day. Nuts a day. So I, was got, I got pretty lean by that point. So what I realized was the power of nutrition and what it could do for me aesthetically, but I didn't really know about anything else. And as I carried on with that diet, even though I looked leaner, I became exhausted. Obviously, when you're in a caloric deficit, you're not taking in any carbohydrates or fats for energy. I was knackered all the time. So when I got to university, even though I looked good, I felt awful. And what I wanted to do was like improve performance in the gym because I was going to the gym a lot. So I started eating more carbohydrates and fats. And as I improved performance in the gym, I actually increased my energy levels. I felt less fatigue and less brain fog because at the time I was drinking coffee, falling asleep in university, doing my biomedical degree, undergrad. And then really realized the power of nutrition then and the more I researched into it the more I realized nutrition has a role in not only helping you function aesthetically or helping you look different 
but actually how you feel and how um, your body responds to the environment around you, including the prevention of illness and possibly even helping to cure or um, working in collaboration with uh, medicine and conventional medicine to help um, restore health from the most chronic diseases and some of the most common ones as well, such as like high cholesterol, high blood pressure, things like that. I remember one time when I was drinking too much coffee, um, my wife made me a coffee and she took a picture of me because I fell asleep drinking it. There's a picture of me like sitting on the couch asleep with the coffee in my hand, almost spilling. I thought that was like pretty ironic. But if you have too much of it, that's, you know, it backfires and doesn't wake you up. It makes you tired, actually. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And that's the kind of thing that I was experiencing. I mean, when you're younger, you're meant to be like thriving with energy. Everyone always tells me they had more energy when they were younger. But when I was in, when I was 20, when I was 16, I had no energy at all. I was falling asleep multiple times a day. I had to take naps. So, you know, I really think nutrition was a big part in that. And probably oh, yeah. too much coffee. <laughs> you know, you know, and most people know that as you get older. Yeah, you know, I remember um, I used to work at this engineering firm. And I was, you know, 22, 23. And all the guys I worked with, like, 40s and 50s. And we'd eat lunch. And I would eat like crazy, you know. And I would say, hey, you know, aren't you going to eat that? Come on, guys. And they would say, you can't eat like this when you get older. You'll see. And I said, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. And I would eat their food. And then now that I'm in my 40s, I realize, yep, they're right. Because I eat, uh, you know, less than half of what I used to eat. But, uh, you know, it's still not easy to, uh, you know, keep it, keep it a good weight. Yes, you need to be more careful. Yeah, I understand yeah. that. So um, it sounds like you just didn't go in for, you know, basic nutrition you kind of went above and beyond is that what you did like what, what was your nutrition journey you first did this high protein like cutting diet um but then it sounds like you got more sophisticated so what, what did you do from there so i guess through my um biomedical science degree i kind of understand understood the biochemistry of like why certain foods were healthy quote-unquote healthy for you or beneficial for your health and then got to understand why certain diets were beneficial for um, someone's health, but not necessarily beneficial for someone else's health. And that's when it really like hit home. I was like, I need to study this. This needs to be part of my life. So I went to go do a master's at King's College London um, and kind of dive deep into what foods work for different people was kind of the idea. And from there, actually, I, I met a bunch of people, doctors and nutritionists and dietitians and nutritional therapists in different fields and realized that they all have kind of equity efficacy in treating certain illnesses or certain conditions but they come at it from different modalities so that was really interesting for me and from a functional perspective as well the idea that you know there's, there's a lot of separation right now in the medical field and, and we need to change that so there is not separation but synchronicity people need to work collaboratively together to um, kind of get the best health outcome and that's where I went with that I started studying these kind of and health practices, um, and that's where it br brings me to where I am today with the podcast and the people I meet and what inspires me to move forward. So, where have you uh, have you landed? You know, do you have private clients that you consult for, or is it more of like your own personal journey? And the podcast just informs you about different approaches. Yes, exactly. The the latter more than the former. So. I've seen family, family, friends and things like that, but I don't have personal clients myself, although a lot of people ask me now due to the podcast, and it's something which I'll probably consider doing. But I'm so kind of ingrained 
which is trying to build the collaboration up with different health practices and healthcare professionals. But that's my main focus right now. Um, and I think I will eventually see clients and I love people, so I'd be very excited to do so. But right now, it's not my main, main interest or main goal. So, uh, yeah, how many people have you uh, podcasted with and, you know, what are some interesting anecdotes or things you learned from talking to them? Yeah, well, I'm in the very early stages of my campaign, so my podcast is certainly not like yours, Richard, I've, um, but I've spoken to around 20 different people, from, and that ranged from like a fitness model talking about the difference between body dysmorphia and a healthy body image, and that's hmm. a topic that really isn't covered very much, all the way to culinary medicine, so Dr. Rupi Ordula talking about food and the power of food and teaching GPs how to cook so they can prescribe kind of diets and, and nutrients for, for individuals in the practice, which I think is hugely important as well. So a real spectrum of individuals. Um, and I guess so they kind of vary, and I try not to take um, sides. I take a, view, take a step back and let them speak about their expertise. But I've had people like Dr. Tom, who's completely anti-gluten, um, so thinks gluten is the root cause of a lot of autoimmune conditions and things like that. And I've had other people on who suggest it's not the case. And I think it highlights that we maybe need to work on an individual basis, the idea of personalized nutrition. Although there are certain elements to one's diet which you could say apply to everyone. I mean, you know yourself, sugar's, sugar's not a good thing. Um, kind of polyunsaturated oils, because they're easily oxidized, can be detrimental to health. And fruits and vegetables on the whole are, are beneficial your health and that's due to the kind of phytonutrients and phytochemicals that it, they contain and that was actually a particular interest of mine when I was at university because what I thought was quite profound is like you know the the array of phytochemicals in these foods you've got viridzin in the apple skin and you've got anthocyanidin in blueberries you've got allicin in garlic you've got you know um, quercetin in onions and the synergy of these chemicals lead to a greater health benefit than the sum of their parts. So that means eating these foods together leads to a greater health-promoting effect than eating them alone. And I just thought that was hugely fascinating. But it's as I speak to these people and kind of learning um, more and more in this field, I just realized there's so much, even though, we, well, basically we've only just scratched the surface in nutrition and there's so much more to know, even though we think we know a lot already. Yeah, it's true. Um... I wonder if, uh, if at the very least, I know there are four avatars or five avatars that you could group people into. Even that, in terms of nutrition, would probably be a good start instead of just, you know, one size fits all. I know a tremendous amount of research never goes into all these diets, eating protocols and everything, but it still seems to be a one size fits all, no matter what the protocol is. So again, even, even a few different avatars uh, would probably make it a lot better. You know, maybe the personalization at this point is just maybe the science is not there, so that's that's what we have to do instead. I'm not sure. Just my thought. Yeah, no, I think it's a really valid point. And um, because right now, it's I guess in the UK and the US, we kind of have government guidelines with what's possibly a very healthy diet for for people. But I think people look at them as like this is what I should be eating, and that is a healthy diet, and that's not necessarily the case for you know quite a lot of the population sometimes. You know, depending on where you're from, I mean, rural Chinese individuals, they have um, greater um, a, um, levels of the AMY1 gene, and that means they can tolerate carbohydrates much better and digest them more. 
and you have different genes which contribute to different health outcomes. The APOE4 gene means you can't really tolerate saturated fat and you can get hypercholesterolemia. And if you eat too much saturated fat, it contributes to your risk of Alzheimer's and heart disease and things like that. So you really need to personalize diets, not just based on, on your genetics, but on a whole load of factors as well. And when you said about um, having avatars, I thought that was a great description, by the way, or a great kind of analogy or metaphor, however you want to put it. But if you, there is um, some research coming out of Madrid. I think it's the University of Madrid. Um, and they're looking at phenotypes. So trying to categorize people into different um, uh diets that are best suited to them and they're doing this with a database at the minute so they're running through the database to see what um foods best suit um certain genetic uh traits i guess phenotypically so the way someone looks um so i would be hugely interested to see where that data leads yeah a friend of mine he did uh, what's called the alcat platinum test it's a food sensitivity and allergy test it tests like 320 different foods he said he didn't feel well. Yeah, he said he wasn't feeling good. He did the test, and some of the foods he didn't even think that, you know, they didn't think bothered him at all. And he followed it, and he says he's feeling a lot better. So that's that's like one level of personalization. Another level is experimenting, trying different ways of eating and seeing how you feel. I mean, just how you feel is uh, probably a pretty good gauge of how something affects you. And I don't think people pay attention to it very much. I know there's plenty of times I haven't. So I guess there's many ways for people to... Uh, you know, to help themselves without having to just sit there and wait for genetics to come back or to be told by, uh, you know, some scientific publication. They can act now and do more. Yes, I absolutely agree. And I've, I've said it before, like how you feel is such a good indicator. And, you know, you said you didn't always um, kind of follow it yourself in terms of how you felt. And I did the exact same thing. I was eating different foods, but at, the, at one point I was um, eating tons of eggs. I was eating eggs every single day for breakfast and they were just not agreeing with me. I felt bloated and had stomach cramps, etc. And it was like, eggs are meant to be good for me. Well, this is what I thought at the time. And I was like, what's wrong with them? Um, there's no, nothing like fibrous, which can cause stomach upset. So I was quite confused. But possibly what it was, I was eating too many of them and my body just wasn't tolerating them anymore. And I think a lot of people could learn from, you know, just because a food might be healthy for you, and that includes vegetables, nightshades, or um, fermentable fibers, so you think things like garlic, just because it's defined as healthy doesn't mean it's best suiting you. If you're feeling, you know, you have malaise, you're feeling fatigued, you're bloated, maybe even that, though that food is a vegetable, it's not serving you, and you might just have to avoid it. Yeah, like I, you know, I used to eat cashews all the time, and then I, you know, I learned that uh, they may or may not be good for you. And I, I realized when I would eat them, I would feel a little bit overfull and a little bit like not well. So I stopped eating them, and I felt a lot better. And it was just very subtle, but you know, it was only when I paid attention to it and read about it a little bit as you know, just an example, something that affected me. Another, another strange thing is I noticed um, as I've gotten older, I would eat uh, pineapple. And then my mouth would itch sometimes, right? Eat pork and my yeah. mouth would itch. And I looked and it's weird. There's this, uh, I guess this protein or something that's in pork and pineapple. And it, I looked on Google and some people have that, that allergy. And, uh, you know, one of my kids has it, uh, like the pork and pineapple thing. It's weird. <laughs> so I, you know, I, I only have cooked pineapple if I'm going to have it. And pork, it depends on the cut. But if I get the wrong one, I know immediately my mouth itches like crazy. 
it's just strange what happens and some things seem to affect you all the time and some things only crop up after a period of time it's just uh, interesting yeah really really interesting and i think it just highlights your point that people need to pay attention to what works for them just out of interest, what what is it in? Because I thought it was bromelain, which is the enzyme in pineapple, which helps to digest protein. I thought people were reacting to that, but I'm not sure it's in pops. It might be something else. You've got you've got my brain going off on one now. <laughs> um, I'd have to look it up. Maybe that's something that we can put in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, it's something to look up. But um, again, I definitely have um, I have a, yeah, it's an uncommon food allergy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't. Know, we'll look it up in the show notes and stuff, but. Uh... Again, what I found, like I said, is uh, is testing and asking questions and maybe not being married to, you know, let's say like, uh, I don't know, someone tells you to go keto and, yes. you know, all the science and everything sounds reasonable and you start it and you give it a fair shot, you give it a few weeks and for some reason you're just doing terrible on it, you know, don't think, oh, there's something wrong with you, like maybe stop, maybe go halfway, try something different, I mean, that's Again, these are just recommendations. Like you know, it's a common common sense, but listen to your body and really pay attention to it and see what it's doing to you. You know, like I I used to have caffeine up until midnight, and I thought, oh, I could have caffeine at midnight, go right to sleep. But again, as I get older, now if I have caffeine after a certain time, and it's getting earlier and earlier, unfortunately, you know, my sleep is just like horrible. That I wake up a million times, and so you. Just, I've realized just by paying attention to things, um, you can learn a tremendous amount. Yes, absolutely. And just to add to your point before, the, the, the test that your friend did, that's not always accepted conventionally. And I think it's mm. very useful clinically, but some people kind of dislike it. And you mentioned the elimination diet, and that is something that people can do. I normally recommend they do it with under the supervision of a health practitioner, whether it be your doctor, dietitian, or nutritionist. Um, but that can be really good for people, you know, eliminating common allergens and then reintroducing them to see how they uh, kind of react to that food and it can really highlight some key ones. But like one which I guess like an easy thing that people can do as well, which I recommend quite a lot um, for people, is just keep a, a food diary. Now it can sound really onerous, but um, it could just even be notes on your phone. And just if you eat a food and you feel not good afterwards, you might be bloated, tired, or or have a certain level of brain fog, maybe just jot it down, ate this meal, you know, cabbage with rice and whatever. And it could be something in there which wasn't serving you or the combination of things which weren't serving you as well, such as FODMAPs, you know, those fermentable fibers that can ferment in your gut. You have too many of them. For some people which are sensitive, it can cause a reaction. It's really good to kind of gauge like what works for you as well. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, any testing that you found that uh, you think would be super useful to have done? In terms of testing, I guess that that's really individualized as well. And you can get really geeky about it, like I tend to do, and I kind of measure my blood levels of things all the time. But that, well, I say all the time, quarterly. So in terms of like omega three, omega six balance in your blood, and um, that's kind of quite an easy test to get done there's a lot of companies which do it now i'm not sure the ones in the us which are available but there's a couple of companies in the uk and and in terms of other tests i wouldn't suggest there's ones which are necessary and apart from if you think you but for people which are considered healthy and maybe just want to kind of adapt their diet they're not really ones which i would suggest i mean there's ones uh, like dna testing and things like that if you really want to get into the nitty-gritty of things but again, they're not really well accepted. 
and they're just really interesting. So if you have money and a little bit of time and want to do your own research, then they can be really nice to do. You can get your DNA tested with one like 23andMe. There's a few other companies now like DNA Fit, I believe that's global, um, and other ones as well. And you can kind of see your ancestry is quite cool just to see where you're from and things like that, but less to do from a nutrition point of view. Yeah, one thing, you know, you mentioned you have uh, your blood done quarterly. Um, every six months I'll have, uh, you know, luckily I have a concierge doctor, so I get a big discount on the testing, which is something for people to look into. If uh, if they want to do this testing, if you have the right doctor, I mean, you can get it much cheaper than it normally would be. So um, I get, I don't know, 100 something blood markers tested every six months. And then, you know, I put them in Excel. And at first, I look to see what's high or low, and then I try to supplement my way back to, uh, you know, the right level. But um, you know, I put them in Excel and chart them and see what what they're doing. And even even to my doctor, he's like, "Wow, that's a good idea." I was like, "I mean, it's a good idea. It's obvious." Just want to see how they change. What's wrong with you? You know. But but to him, it was like this big revelation, which I thought was funny. But that's something that you can do too, quarterly, or anyone can do, even if they do it just once a year. You know, they could look, but uh, more frequently than that would probably be helpful. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I guess there's some common ones. That, now you said like 100 markers. I'm just thinking of really common ones, which are probably really important to get done. So folate, vitamin B12, and vitamin D. They're normally really readily available to people, and they're just hugely important for cognition, uh, brain health, and vitamin D is hugely important. It kind of activates and controls over a thousand genes in the human body. Um, and making sure you're in a good resting frame, the, the, the recommended resting frame for that. A lot of people recommend the upper limit. Um, I believe that's 100 nanomoles per deciliter, but I'll have to check the UK values. Uh, don't quote me on that. Um, but they kind of re recommend the upper limit for various different reasons, kind of reduction in cancer risk and things like that. But that needs to be fully defined, I believe. Um, but that's a really good one to get checked for everyone. But the 100 markers and kind of... Uh, supplementing to correct them that that does seem obvious doesn't it yeah most of them are fine thank goodness you know yeah. but the, there will be a few that are you know one or two sometimes more that are off so i've been supplementing to try to keep them in, in range i figure that's at least a good a good start to do something like that if this is low supplement i haven't solved the why of certain of them but uh you know i've at least gone down that path to see what it'll do so yeah, and I think that's that's empowering as well if you're able to change those markers. And I think people like being able to quantify things. So if we see numbers on a piece of paper and we're able to change that number by doing something ourselves, then that's powerful. You know, it's empowering. And people can do that at home as well if they have access to these kinds of tests. Hmm. Yeah. So any other, uh, you know, any changes to the way you do things? Have you changed how you handle your health or what you work on based on... Uh you know, the podcast you've done? Well, right now, I kind of just try to optimize my energy levels as best I can. So, um, and and training-wise, so I'm trying to get back into the gym, especially because it's nearing New Year, or it is New, New Year, I assume, when this podcast is released. Mm -hmm. And so, trying to get back into training training again and really focus on kind of improving my energy, energy levels throughout the day. So, I can work full time as well as doing these podcasts on the side, go to the gym and actually see my friends and be, you know, thriving and with them in the room and not thinking, thinking about something. So a, a lot that I do is kind of the five pillars of health. I focus on my nutrition, try and optimize my sleep through a bunch of different ways and um, reduction of stress. And um, I exercise a lot. 
and I try and nurture as many relationships as, as I can in the short period of time that I have to do that. So that's kind of what I'm focusing on from the podcast that I've done. Uh, in terms of friends, do you uh, do you advise them or pick at them, or do you leave them alone, or do you just <laughs> observe them and see what they're doing? Like, you know, has has that relationship changed at all? Has, it's such a good point, and I think because my friends no i'm a nutritionist my my really close ones might ask me about what i'm doing and what i find interesting but they won't ask me advice on nutrition um and the ones i know less well um or probably aren't as close to they tend to ask me a bit more but i'll, I'll never pick at anyone i feel like whatever people want to do it's their own choice i'll never force some, something upon someone and what i've seen in the past and i definitely was like that when i was younger i used to really be like this is the way you should eat. I used to be really into the ketogenic diet and be like, there's no other way. This is the only way. You know, I feel great on it and everyone should do it. And you just fall back into that area, arena uh, of like, that, you know, there's no one diet that fits all. Some people feel terrible on that diet. But also, if someone's not willing to change and they're not at the right time for them, you're not going to do it. And if anything, I feel, in my experience, you're going to push them away. So yeah, no, that's true. That's true. Yeah. I mean, I don't know about yourself. You went through a big health change yourself. You kind of, in my opinion, you might, you might think otherwise. You need a catalyst to almost be like, right, I want to change now, rather than someone, you know, saying that this is the only way. And people tend not to buy into that. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you need a gun to your head, but uh, that's what it takes. That's what it takes, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But what I tend to see that works best is you give people the information and not in a pushy way then they're more likely to follow it than just preaching to them. Right. Well, very good. Well, Ben, where, where can people find your podcast and how can they uh, interact with you? Where should they go? So you can find me at the Functional Health Podcast and you can find me on any kind of podcast platform. Um, and if you want to leave a review on iTunes, that'd be hugely helpful for me. And um, you can also find me at functionalhealthinfo.com and soon to be program. And I think that is it. I'll, I'll make sure we put all the uh, links to social media in the show notes. But the development, I'll just quickly um, tell you a little bit. The platform and the website I have in New Year, some articles, some ideas of what institutions you can go to if you want to learn more about nutrition and health and if you want to become a practitioner yourself um, and hopefully develop a way just to integrate everyone onto one platform in terms of health practices and health professions. That's great, Ben. Thank you for coming. Richard, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. And I do hope we can speak again soon. You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you.